What is up everyone, and welcome to another wild week of Jujutsu Kaisen. I'm your host today, and I'm honestly just vibing at this point, because what the heck is going on? Same. I feel that a lot. What's up y'all? It's Brian. Um, I just came out of watching Toy Story in theaters. Um, most of you probably don't know that I am like the hugest Toy Story nerd on the planet. And with that being said, I now feel my life is complete. So I'd like to say thank you for everyone involved in this adventure. Hi guys, it's Emily. I did not watch Toy Story today, but I constantly feel like like alternating characters from that particular film. <laughs> today I feel like Slinky. <laughs> 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 all right well um on that note <laughs> so uh right back into the <laughs> oh my gosh okay well we do pick right back up where we left off with the gut punch <laughs> reminder of rico taking a bullet through the head rip right i'm, I'm just saying rip Right? I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect in this show at all. I feel like people die and are fine. I feel like people are dying or dead, whatever. And we get a nice little reminder of that. And then our Ghetto versus Toji fight ensues. I do have to say, I think this is my favorite fight of JJK thus far with Ghetto's curse technique and Toji's like cool calmness. The vast like backdrop they were in these like buildings within another building the emotions behind everything of course because ghetto thinks that gojo is dead at this point so what did you think of this fight as a whole being animated as especially for you guys manga readers again this show just like really benefits from being animated or this story i should say benefits from being animated because the manga moves at lightning speed because it has to and so not that this slows it down but it just makes everything feel a little bit more fluid and just really shows like how terrifying these people are <laughs> how tough they are to go up against each other and we've already seen that toji is like a force to be reckoned with right because gojo got wrecked in the last episode and we know that he is the strongest um, other than Ghetto, and the, the thing about Ghetto that I think gives him a slight advantage in a fight with Toji is that he is more level-headed, he is, his, his predisposition is just like more calm and like a little bit less cocky than Gojo, so even though he clearly is like losing it at this point for him, this, it's still like measured and calculated in his response. And he's like very pragmatic about it and just jumps right to the rage stage of grief, right? <laughs> but I mean, this fight was so cool because Toji is such a badass and again, is still fighting without any technically like jujitsu sorcery. And then you have Ghetto who has this like cursed energy manipulation that he's able to use. And it's really interesting to see like the interaction as well with Toji's, um, his little cursed spirit that he does have slight control over and the explanation also of like how he was able to get in and make, he's like, I was able to like condense it small enough so that I can just swallow it and then like, you know, heave it back up. <laughs> Ew. I was like, I didn't <laughs> sneak it in. <laughs> me bringing, me bringing contraband candy into the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true that that is libel um <laughs> but i don't know it's just it, it's such a cool fight i love the animation of the dragon it's giving very like haku from spirited away but um much deadlier 
yeah, I don't know. This was a really interesting fight to watch because going into it, I was not sure who might come out on top because both of them are very level-headed about this. Toji coming from a place of like earned confidence and then Ghetto just being incredibly intelligent. This is like a very well-balanced fight. Yeah, this fight was very interesting to watch specifically because the way that it turned from Ghetto realizing that everything he just tried to work for like does not mean anything, right? So we're starting there and then all of a sudden Toji's like, yeah, uh, by the way, your buddy's dead. <laughs> and then he's like, Soka. And then just goes off with his dragon. Like, first off, his dragon is, like, his ultimate move. That's, like, one of his trump cards, if you will. So he's pulling that out on, like, phase one of a fight. You know it, it means something. So that was really interesting. Now, with kind of Toji just showing up out of nowhere and being like, all right, cool, it doesn't matter now, my job's done, it definitely gives you the sense of almost, like, callousness because everything else that's going on no longer matters. He's like, I did my job. I'm ready to hop out, like, go home, get some dinner. Thinking about how there were, like, almost, like, no afterthoughts of any repercussions definitely tells you the type of person he is. It makes it very difficult to grasp where his empathy starts, if any, applicable. Uh, we've talked about how he is quite menacing and just a menace in general. Now you're really starting to see those behaviors come out with this fight because there is just execute the plan, infiltrate the dealer, find the supplier. Thank you, 21 Jump Street, for that reference. And it's just a really interesting kind of contrast to most other villains that you see, right? Usually there's like a purpose behind their like grand evil scheme however that's not the case here he literally is just like doing his job which was to kill rico so very interesting i did like the ost of this scene i found it very cool i thought that it was very contemporary and fitting for the fight scenes of jjk i think they're doing a really great job with that because the piano was a little bit more laid back but you could hear in the chords itself the way that the harmonies were aligned, they were still giving dissidence rather than like pure like flow and harmony of it. So it was a very interesting way to set the fight or the tone of the fight. Yeah, I agree with everything both of you said. I thought this fight was just really well done and a very interesting dynamic too, because as I've mentioned, every fight that we've seen, at least with Gojo, I know up until now, like this arc, we haven't really seen Ghetto fight that much. I'd have to rewatch uh, JJK Zero and season one again to like remind myself because it's been a minute. He hasn't, we haven't seen a ton of him, but we've seen a lot of Gojo. And every time we've seen Gojo fight in the future, he's still very cocky, but not as cocky as he is as a high schooler now. So I've been saying, you know, like all of their fights have been very just like, eh, easy. Like we don't even see the fight because it's so clear that they beat out the enemy so fast. But now we're in this stage where it's like all of a sudden we're getting clapped by Toji. Geto has a few th like great moments in this fight, but he is getting clapped by Toji, really. I have to say his little finger guns using that <laughs> as like bullets was really freaking cool, but it didn't really help. Toji was still surprising him left and right. It had me on the edge of my seat because I was like, I really don't know, you know, what's going to happen here. And it doesn't end well. You know, Geto thinks he can absorb this curse from Toji, but he can't. And that was that kind of was one of those moments where I was just kind of like, is that going to be explained why he couldn't? We'll see. And that leads to his defeat. You know, that catches him off guard enough that 
Toji is able to kind of slice him up for a moment. Not good. But he doesn't kill him, which I thought was interesting. However, he did mention that, like, killing him might, you know, release everything that he's absorbed thus far. And Toji was like, I don't want to deal with that. So the reason he didn't kill him was kind of a lazy reason, in my opinion. Goes along with his character. But also found it interesting because we have established that Geto and Gojo are the most powerful. So you would think that he would want to kind of kill two birds, three birds with one stone in this situation. So interesting that he walked away from that. I didn't see it coming, but what did you think of this situation and how it's going to affect our characters, like, present day? I think this is where it really starts to form the people we see in Season 1 because they're starting to realize what true dangers are out there, even from non-Jujitsu sorcerers. With that being said, uh, Ghetto not being able to absorb the curse was specifically because... Toji was fast enough to stop him from doing it. Like, he literally whipped around, was able to stop him from doing it. That's why it didn't happen. I did find it was a very interesting (laughs) dynamic that they created with the scene of this playing out because you saw the two of them, like, walking between these two hallways and, like, keep missing each other with the windows, which I thought was very interesting because it almost gave you, like, the hunter and the prey kind of vibes which was really cool. Now, both of them getting clapped by Toji. Unfortunately, I mean, as a manga reader, I saw it coming because I knew it was going to happen. But also, it makes a lot of sense that someone who is in contrast to the two of them supposed to be, like, a monkey of, like, non-Jujitsu sorcerer power because they are the strongest. They have that contrasting element of not suspecting someone who isn't like them to be able to beat them. And I think that's where this lesson comes in is that you need to be on your guard no matter who your enemy is or what powers they have, because the second you let go or set back, you're going to get your, you know, you're gonna get your cheeks clapped. I love that you brought up the monkey reference, Brian. I'm gonna jump into that a little bit deeper because it's a really interesting choice of words. Ghetto, in the present tense of this story, has been introduced to us as a villain. Um, and we are seeing the past now, and it's clear that that's not the case at whatever state his mind is currently in. But Toji says to him specifically, even a monkey like me with no jujitsu sorcery powers can beat you two who are like the strongest, which is true um, so far at this point. And in the future, as Ghetto is introduced as this like very self-righteous villain, he specifically uses that same terminology where he says, like, we just need a world of jujitsu sorcerers. We don't need monkeys who can't use it. So you might be able to attribute this fight with Toji to the beginning of his descent into villainy. Being humiliated in this fight, in addition to, at least at this moment, knowing that his best friend in the world has died at the hands of this monster it it could be enough to drive anybody insane so it's very interesting how much those particular words stuck with him as for gojo we obviously know gojo has made it into the present tense as well for me i think that probably there's going to be some more that we see a little bit later in the episode maybe in the coming episodes but like as bad as Ghetto's reaction was to lose Gojo. Gojo, even though he is cocky, I think would feel very similarly to lose Ghetto. And what's worse about this is that in some capacity, we know that like he's losing Ghetto in a different way. It's like mm-hmm. he's not necessarily dying in this particular fight, but if he's 
going to descend into a state of villainy, then he's losing the person that Ghetto currently is. So both of them have the entire trajectories of their lives changed by this moment. It's it's a critical fight, for sure. Yeah, and it's like I've been saying, they needed to be humbled, so I think that this this fight is really what changes the two of them as a whole. And I like that you called out the monkey thing, because I didn't... I didn't remember he specifically uses that wording in season one in present day, but I do remember him kind of being about living in a world with just jujitsu sorcerers. And I was thinking about that as I was watching this and I was thinking maybe this whole situation with Toji is really what set him off into being in this situation where he, he chooses villainy you kind of see the reason behind it and you can't fully blame him. You know, it's kind of one of those situations where it's like, obviously we don't agree with his actions in, in, in present day, but you can understand why he chose to go down that path. We've talked a lot about villains choosing to go down certain paths because of something that happened to them. And that I, like, I can see that theme here. So it's really interesting. I'm really excited to, we only have one more episode of this arc. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how episode five is going to go. I'm, I'm kind of worried, but <laughs> Uh, we do move on to Toji delivering Rico's body to the Star Religious Group, where they offered to pay a bonus, and then they explained that like they would pay anything to stop the assimilation. They're very, very, very dedicated to their cause. But something I found interesting was the man specifically mentioned that he was aware that it like stopping this assimilation could be dooming mankind, and yet they are still committed to the cause. Why do you think this group has so much conviction, even though it could mean the end of humanity? Because I was scratching my head. <laughs> How to answer this question without getting canceled? Oh, no. <laughs> um, well, I mean, here's my honest answer. There are a number of world religions on this planet, and most of them have people who range from, like, the moderate end of the scale to then, like, fanaticism. The fanatics can be really scary, and I think that this is probably a parallel to that. Um, obviously, you know, we, we don't deal in... As far as we know, we don't deal in our modern world with, like, jujitsu sorcery or anything similar to that, but the assimilation um, is perceived by these fanatics in the show as something that would, like, taint their god. Essentially, Tengen Sama is viewed as a god to this religious group, and they feel that, like, maybe this, like, mortal human girl, if she were to absorb, or, like, he were to absorb her, it would, like, impurify the god, because you're, like, tainting it with a human being. You know, we don't necessarily experience a lot of religious beliefs quite like this, at least in the Western world, but something you might be able to compare it to a little bit could be uh like like people who refuse to believe in like science because they feel that like their god has created a perfect world and it it's like best not to question like divine construction of things you know like like scientists and some of the developments that they've made to like maybe improve upon some of the th like i don't know like the thing that's coming to mind for me first is like global warming this is the thing that's going to get me canceled <laughs> but but the point is like obviously you have like two ends of the spectrum that like there's like a lot of like documented proof that if you don't do something, there's going to at some point be some kind of like almost supernova situation that's going to spiral out of control. And that's what's happening like with Jujutsu Kaisen. If Tengen Sama does not get a new vessel to 
contain himself, it's going to result in the end. But they don't care. They're like, what they say is like, we'll go down with our God if it comes <clears> to <throat> that. And like, there's no greater privilege than being able to go with him. We'd sooner do that than have him be not pure anymore. So I think I think it's because they're religious fanatics. <laughs> is is the long answer, and there's not necessarily a whole lot more justification to it other than that it's like what they believe and have a lot of conviction in and would lay down their lives for it. There's a lot to tackle in this question, and I don't care if I get canceled or not. Just don't cancel the sheer half hour. You can cancel me personally, just don't cancel <laughs> Hannah or Emily. They are two precious treasures that need to be protected at all costs. However, myself, I am fair game. So keep that in mind. Now with that being said, this is a really good parallel to the real world with that, you know, you think of things like Helter Skelter, like cults, to a certain extent. That That's really what this is at this point, right? Those who are so invested in a belief that it clouds their judgment and clouds their ability to see reason, destroys all empathy for anyone else who doesn't believe the same way. I mean, even present day, there are still cults, like, I read an article last week, like, this is awful, but there's a cult that's in, I believe, South Africa that is forcing people to starve to death, that they must starve to be with God in order to be fully pure before they can go to heaven. People have started to, like, fall to traps like that because they believe that this is the righteous cause, whether it's due to, you know, a specific leader trapping them into this belief system or it's a lack of connection to those around them in getting isolated there's a lot of things that lead individuals to then come to these collective beliefs of what seems to be in their point of view the right thing to do however when it's viewed on the outside it's something that's quite horrifying and so realistically this is just a reflection life imitates art Im art imitates life and unfortunately, this is one of the more sad reflections that we have to look at and see, you know, where do we as the outsiders play in this role of these people not feeling or not understanding the consensus at play? And it's really sad. Now, for the star religious group, I mean, they just fall into that category as people who unfortunately have this view that they believe is right at the expense of the world. Yeah, I agree. I think that a lot of real life cults are kind of like that, where you just, you believe what you believe so righteously that everything else falls to the wayside, even if it's like the safety of humanity, you know? I think there's a lot of different parallels we can, even in America, say like that people are upholding their beliefs over the safety of children and over the safety of women. And I won't get too deep into, you know, that, but it is definitely a very real thing. And it was, it was a very interesting scene. You know, this is one of those scenes in this episode that isn't jam packed with a lot of stuff like most of the others, but it, it held a lot of opportunity for those conversations to open up and opportunity to kind of talk about things like that in the real world. And I think that's something that Jujutsu Kaisen does a very good job at is opening up those conversations that being said, I I found it interesting. Obviously, Toji's kind of uh, a lone wolf. I think we've kind of established that from the beginning. He's just a, you know, a jujitsu sorcerer killer, but he really doesn't seem to care. He just wants to get paid. And that's almost like being convicted to a cult. I think like money can be considered a cult that you're willing to give up humanity just for the sake of money was uh, pretty interesting. 
moving on, we get this nice surprise. I say surprise because this is in the past. We obviously know Gojo is alive. Uh, but it definitely surprised Toji. And this is one of the first times I can think of where his cool demeanor was broken. He is shook. <laughs> he shooketh. Gojo is alive. It turns out, and please feel free to fact check me. I, I really am going to explain it in very basic terms. But it seems as if he turned his negative energy into positive energy, which allowed him to survive on the brink of death. That's the best I could come up with. It kind of makes sense with his abilities, I guess. If you want to explain it more, feel free. But this Gojo is different. As Toji says, and I have to say, this made me laugh, was he said he's high. <laughs> Thoughts on this? Like, oh, dude, I'm high off the Jitsu energy. <laughs> Wait. What? Why is this the first time we are hearing your shaggy impression? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking of the guy from SpongeBob, though. The oh yes, <laughs> the surfer. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, uh, yeah. So he is definitely on a high. Now, taking a step back to actually explain it, right? So the way that they explain it in the show was based off of the math principles. So. When you have a negative number, a negative integer, you multiply that negative integer by another one, you get a positive number as the result. So that is the concept that they're using here, that this negative energy, and you can think of that as like dark matter. So when you multiply that, it resonates into positive physical matter that then can be used to create an imaginary, or they represented it as an imaginary mass, which then can be manipulated into regeneration of Gojo's body. It's a lot more complex than Demon Slayer, where you just breathe and then flames come out of your sword. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> and now, looking at the state Gojo's in, of course, if you literally just figured that out on the brink of death, I mean, who wouldn't be riding a high being like, oh shit, I almost died, but I like figured out how to further control my power. I mean, we've seen a lot of anime characters pull some weird stuff out of their back pocket, and then all of a sudden they're turning the fight around. So I think this is one of those moments. I really was very stunned when when I think it was Toji who said, I think our fight's just beginning. And he's like, so it is. And that was really cool because it was Toji acknowledging that he was like, oh, I thought I was done, but this guy is a little bit more intense than I was thinking. This is such a cool comeback moment for Gojo. Yeah, he is like high or like, or like drunk on power because he's just cheated death for one thing, which is like, I can only imagine what that must feel like. I, I don't even know that I could put a word to it, but I think his reaction is well within the realm of possibility. Yeah. He's, he's like experiencing enlightenment almost. He's not only cheated death, but now it's like, he's like describing like everything has become like more clear to me. I understand how to use this power that I was born with or like blessed with. And a resurrection's always interesting in any media. There are certainly some religious texts that we could point to. There are plenty of like fictional media as well, but resurrections aren't reserved for just anybody. So this is clearly, as we already knew, a very, very powerful character, but I think we're about to see the true full extent be unleashed in maybe in a kind of uncontrolled way. 
we know he's more balanced, he's more mature, slightly, <laughs> in the future. But this is still a high school boy who's experienced this resurrection, this enlightenment, and now is, like, truly bestowed with the full extent of whatever this awesome power is that we're about to see. And it's kind of scary. It's not like a... I wouldn't call it, like, a happy resurrection exactly in this moment. He's still not looking so good, and he seems like he's lost it a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, and it shows in, in Toji's reaction, because like I said, he's been super calm and chill this entire time we've known him. And for the first time, he's like, oh, <laughs> but then even even then he, you know, thinks that he is going to be able to take him on. And Gojo's just crazy, like has an absolute crazy look in his eyes. It's like he's been awakened, you know, he's always been the most powerful, but now it's like he's the most powerful and the most dangerous because he doesn't even, he says like he, sorry Rico, but I like, I don't care that you died or something like that. You know, he doesn't care. He's just, he's just a living being that's floating in the air and just extremely powerful. And that's like, that's incredibly dangerous because you don't know what he's going to do. He could take out Toji and take out the entire city if he wants and it seems like he might do that, you know? That being said, the fight scene from this is now my favorite fight scene, beating out the fight scene that happened 15 minutes ago. And it was just absolutely beautifully done. While I don't fully understand everything that's going on with Gojo, I I'm sure I'll, I'll figure it out. I just need to rewatch it a few times. He does have a very different air to him, as we've established. He's just crazy. Toji can feel that. He says he can take on his red and blue techniques, but Gojo pulls out something new, purple. And I'm just using the colors because I, there, I, I know there's more to it, but I, I don't want to get canceled for just not understanding. So I use the very <laughs> basics. <laughs> I feel like me hosting a JJK episode just really shows how much I lack in knowledge about the power structure. But, you know, we'll get there. Someday I'm going to be enlightened and, and everything's going to fall into place and it's going to be a beautiful day. The OST brought back the piano that I talked about from last episode and we get the incredible line. This might be one of the most incredible lines in anime that I have heard so far and that is throughout heaven and earth I alone am the chosen one. Chills? Anybody? So damn cool. But also like, but very cocky very like in line but at the same time it's like but is he wrong though because like what the hell was that you know again i think that there's like some really interesting parallels here it does bring me or, or it does elicit thoughts of religious texts for me and you know there, there's like a couple like really obvious examples like there's a big resurrection in the bible in Buddhist texts, there's, like, a resurrection is, like, a big part of, like, and, and in, like, Hindu texts, like, rebirth and living again, like, this, it's, like, generally for those who believe in, like, the upper power and also for, like, or for, like, select individuals, like, not everybody's gonna get resurrected. He's high on this belief that he has just, like, cheated death and now has this amazing power, but the difference between him and, like, all these other people is that he is immediately planning to use it for destruction. <laughs> and he does. The purple technique is so cool, because a few episodes ago, we just saw him struggling to use red. <laughs> He wasn't even able to do that. And so in this fight, he already has used red and Toji was able to like dodge um, or like work with it pretty easily. But even Toji is like looking at him in this moment. He's like, something's wrong, which is kind of weird because that's not like he hasn't really like 
had second thoughts at any other point in this show. He's just like, he's like, I'm going to wear him down. Like, I do know that he's strong, but I can take him. Toji having like this gut instinct was kind of scary because it, it foreshadowed that something big was about to happen, but we weren't quite sure what. And then Gojo unleashes this, and it's this beautiful secret combination of both the blue and the red techniques. And so it takes like the attraction of blue and the repulsion of red to make like an invisible mass that rushes forward and erases everything in its path. And obviously we know that Toji is in that path. So things are not looking so good for Toji for the first time in all of these fights. And does Gojo maybe earn his right as like a possible deity in this world of JJK? I don't know, but we haven't really seen anything that could come close to competing with purple. Honestly, this entire scene was God tier. Like, this was an S-class anime scene. I do want to go back a little bit just to correct myself. When I said that there was an imaginary mass created out of the resonation of the negative energy that was incorrect, I want to correct myself there. It was actually the negative energy resonating created positive energy that was able to heal him. So it wasn't creating imaginary mass. That was purple that I had confused it with. And even as a manga reader, this is still very difficult to understand. And thank <laughs> the Lord for the JJK wiki. We praise whoever writes that immediately after the episode. Now, with that being said, I do really want to call out the way that it was animated, the combination of red and blue, because those two drops and the rotation of the camera watching those colors combine was so beautiful and it was a really cool call out they had made that having big family name behind your sorcery is difficult because people know about it right so people knew about red and blue and how to already counter those however purple was something that was within the gojo family still a secret so not even some of the other members of that clan knew about it and that's kind of where he got that instinct from that Emily was mentioning. That was like what he was talking about was that someone like not very many people knew about purple and how to counter it. So that was the issue that came into play is that he had no idea what he was going up against at that point. And also the way that he like kind of shielded himself from like Toji's attacks as they were coming in and as he was just like kind of floating in the air. Very cool scene there. And I also just kind of want to mention like the birds flying in the background, the sun shining behind him, like it very much so gives you like angel vibes. And I mean, the white hair, those like bright blue eyes, he really does look like something of a god. And I honestly loved every minute of it. My favorite character got his amazing like moment in this episode. He really said Yowaimo right there. Like, <laughs> no further comments needed. <laughs> I don't really have much to add. You guys called out every moment that I was thinking of during this fight as just so well done. The animation was beautiful. Hats off to Mappa, truly doing such an amazing job with this. And I, I was honestly at a loss for words the first time I watched it. I had to watch it a second time to be able to write anything about it because I was just like, whoa. So, but like you said, Gojo's kind of like a god. Toji is in a pickle. Purple's headed straight for him. Emily's laughing at my pickle. <laughs> Not a pickle. <laughs> Toji is in a slight pickle because uh, it seems like he's dead now. <laughs> yeah, man's got man's got worse than Rengoku, honestly. <laughs> Listen, for 
every donut joke that I've had to suffer and endure through for the last <laughs> two and a half years or however long it's been, this man got turned into a crescent fucking moon. <laughs> this guy just got assassination <laughs> classroomed on site. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. It it uh it doesn't it doesn't look too too good. He's missing an arm and like half of his body. I know I can say this as an anime only, but I have heard so much about this man. I'm having a hard time believing that he's actually dead, even though that was clearly like there's no coming back from that kind of injury. And also, he died standing up. It seemed, and that was like the close of the episode, sort of, kind of. Yeah, I feel like he's gonna show up again. While we're on the topic of Rengoku. Rengoku is not a character. I mean, he is a character in Demon Slayer now, but he's not actually there for the fight scenes anymore. But is it his actions that have spurred everything since then? Okay, you got me. And now we have to reflect because in these final moments, he's like, my kid's going to get sold in two to three years to Gojo. Is that the action that sparks everything of the present? That's the question that we get to answer or we get to see the answer coming after episode five or maybe even a little bit in episode five as we start with our next arc coming up this is true and this is an important reveal because this is the moment where you know as as he's his life is flashing before his eyes he has like a brief moment of regret which is a little hard to buy into because of everything that he's done in the last several episodes but maybe he's trying to have his little tiny redemptive arc and then it seems like maybe he did actually willingly forget but Megami flashes into his mind, and then we get the reveal in this episode, of course, that Megami is Toji's son. Mm. And we know that Megami and Gojo are pretty tight-knit um, as far as, like, a teacher-student relationship in the future. So it's going to be interesting to see how the ghost of Toji might continue to haunt Megami in the future. And, and Gojo. And Geto, for that matter. Mm. Yeah, that was very... I forgot that that was like the big reveal of that moment because I already knew that Megami was his son because of spoilers. It was like maybe he regretted his actions like many people do when they die, but it was very like, eh, we don't really care other than the fact that we now know that Megami is your son and everything kind of makes a little bit more sense with their relationship, Gojo and, and Megami's relationship in the future. So I guess you're right, Brian. I, I'm going to say that he is dead. He just is, you know, the character is not done in the show he won't come back as an alive person in the present day is what I'm going to assume. <laughs> um, but just when you think the episode is over, we get a pretty poignant after credit scene. I have to admit, I literally got up from my computer and thought the episode was over and then like came back. I had like my coffee or wh whatever I was doing at that point in time. And I noticed that there was still like five minutes left and I was like, oh, we probably have an after credit scene. And what a scene it was. Gojo is carrying Rico's body while like members of the star religious group are clapping and cheering him on. Geto finds him, he's alive. And Gojo asks if they should just kill them all because he really doesn't care. Geto is the one who says like, there's no reason to, we shouldn't. I think we're starting to see the fall into where he's at in present day in this scene. I'll admit, as an anime only, I don't really quite understand how important this scene, but I could feel how important it is based off of the way it was done. Um, and I feel like it's just the start of something important. Oh yeah. 
we know that Gojo is like very unserious most of the time, and so I think that he is still kind of like high on this power that he has freshly obtained, but I, I do think he's kidding. I, I think it's like a sick joke because everyone is, you know, they're all clapping at the demise of like this poor girl and it's like, and human beings can be really disgusting. And like, that's what they are both observing, maybe for one of the first times since they're so young in this episode. And so maybe, maybe he's not kidding. Maybe he's reacting and it's like not a calculated reaction. He's just feeling angry in this moment, but I don't think that he actually was planning on wiping out that entire room of people. I, I think there, I, I don't think there was like super strong conviction behind that as much as he was just angry in that moment with everything that they've been through. Ghetto, on the other hand, pauses for a moment when Gojo suggests this and then when he does answer it's like very quiet and kind of subdued and he's like no we shouldn't because it's, it's very important that there's like a reason why you know like why we're here why why they're here and if we are ever gonna kill somebody there needs to be a reason I think that he considered it for a minute a little bit more seriously than probably anything Gojo was actually suggesting I think Geto was thinking about it because he's been pushed to a, a different rank also this is his first time seeing Gojo again since everything has gone down so I think he's also in a state of like disbelief and just understanding that like what they're up against is much crueler than I think he had realized yeah with this one I think it's an interesting piece that we get to see now based off of what we know about the present day you would think the questions would have been reversed right you would think that Ghetto would be the one invoking that conversation instead of Gojo. I think with Gojo, kind of as Emily pointed it out, he is a little bit more off the wall and less of that like calm, calculated human being. And so this is coming from a place of like pain, but humorous is one way to cope. And I think that's kind of shown in season one when he's like animated as like frolicking in a field saying, I'll murder you. So we do kind of see some of those elements arise later on. However, with this in mind, it's very difficult for us to try and connect the dots as to where things are going. And if, you know, really these roles are somewhat reversed right now, how do we get to that end game? Of course, we know some things, but this scene is important because it really does demonstrate where this was something that Ghetto had considered. He was like, man, fuck it at this point, right? Like, why, why wouldn't I? Like, what point do I have if I'm going to stop or if I'm going to save all of these people and like my beliefs were to protect everyone and the people I've protected are literally trying to end the world. It is a, a very interesting scene, to say the least. And you're, you're right. Gojo has always been very like, oh, he's good in season one, but also he's very just like wild and not necessarily moral with a lot of his thinking. So... This could like really be the start of that as well. So it, it's an it's an interesting scene that I think, like I said, I don't really know the importance of it quite yet, but I can tell that there's something going on that's going to be important in the long run. So it was definitely something to call out. But any final thoughts before we move on to our favorite moments? No. All right. Well, our favorite moments. I will go first and. It's kind of basic of me to say this, but the way it gave me chills, and I see it all over the internet because it's something that people are loving, but Gojo's line that we just recently touched on, you know, throughout Heaven 
and the earth. I alone am the chosen one. And then his using the purple technique for the first time was just chef's kiss. I loved everything about that scene. It was so well done. Again, great job, Mappa. Great job to the voice actors. Great job to everyone because that was like really spectacular. My favorite moment here, I was thinking about one of the funny moments where they animated Toji's face a little bit weird, but I don't think that's my favorite moment. It was hilarious um, though. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, yeah, I just killed some people. But I think actually my favorite moment was something that we really didn't touch on. And I think it was when he was talking to like one of the managers of the star religious organization. And he was like, well, why don't we go get dinner with these like rich people's money? And he's like, absolutely not. I will literally only talk to you in the following situations, which is at work or in hell. And I think it demonstrates that even people in this very crazy, you know, off the wall space, understand what a problem he is and what a problem he can be for others. And I think it definitely just further characterizes who we were dealing with at the time. Now, even though we are uncertain of his future at the moment, there is still a lot of questions that can be raised for a possible return of Toji or if it's just the impacts of his actions right now that are going to alter the future so heavily that it will be felt even going forward throughout this season. Toji is definitely critical. And on that note, can I say my favorite moment was him stretching before the Gojo bike? (laughs) (laughs) They did not need to do it like that for that (laughs) long, but they did. But they did. They did. They knew what they were doing. (laughs) They did that for us. They knew. (laughs) <laughs> they knew what we were going to become the minute that that man was animated on our screens. <laughs> I'm also going to call out the Gojo fight, and as awesome as the purple moment is, Hannah already touched on it, so I'm going to call out two other like slightly smaller moments within the same little bracket of time. I love Gojo's like almost internal monologue as he's like floating through the sky, and there's like destruction and havoc being wreaked like and that already has happened all around him and he's obviously going up against somebody who has just whooped his ass big time you know in these last several episodes and he is and he is like enlightened he's like he's like looking he's like floating through the sky and he is like so at peace with everything that it's really unsettling compared to what happens immediately after Um, like how calm he is. So I thought that was really beautiful, really well done and animated in like a very peaceful but eerie way. Um, Similarly, I also just love the shot of Toji dying, standing straight up. Like he doesn't fall to his knees, like he goes out like a boss. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that was true in the manga too, but it was just cool to see it again animated. All amazing stuff. It It was a great episode for sure absolutely wonderful but that's about all the time we have but we do of course as always have a taisho era secret naturally since it's my turn and i'm learning japanese i thought it'd be fun to throw a little fun japanese fact your way um but did you know that there is no character in the japanese alphabet that makes the i sound our vowels in japanese are a e e u and o and that just doesn't really change even if there are two vowels together it kind of changes, but they actually say both. They just mush it together, so it's pretty interesting. That being said, whenever you see a Japanese name, because technically when we see Japanese names, those are Japanese words that have just been changed to our alphabet so we can read it as English speakers. And I is supposed to be pronounced E. So I'm thinking Inosuke, Zenitsu, Shinobu, Mitsuri. Now, it's 
easy to say it wrong as English speakers because we just read it as an i sound. And if you do say it without making it e, like I don't think it's really that big of a deal. But it's a fun little fact. Fun little moment is you got to turn off your、uh, English rules when you read a Japanese name because. They don't follow English rules, so we can't we can't use those rules. I'll get there. Even I like have said Inosuke a lot, even on the podcast. So don't worry about it. But fun fact, I'll eventually get there. And with that being said, that's all for today. So thank you so much for listening in. As always, if you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment if you want a question answered in a future episode.、Uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, don't forget to download.、Uh, You can rate our show. Follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Hashira Half Hour or on Twitter at Hashira Half. Sorry, it's not Twitter anymore. It's X. It's Twitter. <laughs> My app changed today, and I was like, "No!" <laughs> we will continue. <laughs> we will continue to tweet on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening in. We're so grateful to all of you who do listen in weekly. It's really special to us. And with that, I will say, "Who am I?" Umai. Umai.